Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about what will frost do to your crops. In our spotlight, we'll take a look at Deere's new investment for in a company called Innerplant. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about the old farmer's almanac. For current events, we'll have cool beans, that's corny, and we'll wrap things up with a feel-good Friday. With me today are Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Chomberg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So you boys ready to get up early on Sunday? Not for church, but for the Packer, Packer. game at 8.30. Yeah, I, I was on a roll. I've been to church the last six weeks, and I was like, man, this week might not happen. Might, you'll have to go Oshkosh. They're having a, it's a Methodist church in Oshkosh. A Packers Mass. A Packers Mass. So they're going to, for every, during the... Uh, timeouts and commercial breaks they're gonna have like two minute intervals of church of readings and then they're gonna play the packer game between that and then at halftime is like a full serve yeah the rest of service and then basically after halftime you can you're free to leave watch the rest of the game i was like wow that's and then at after they are having like at 10 30 apparently like a traditional service just what jesus would have wanted that's yeah no i thought that was no, knowing your, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I don't know how I feel about that. That is just wild. But, uh, but we've never had an eight thirty a.m. game. Like it's so weird to that you'd be done by noon with the game and have the rest of your day apparently to watch more football. I don't. Yeah, how many games are in London this year? Because they had one this week too. Right. The is the, there one in Germany this year too? Is there like two in London and one in Germany? And there, one in I think there was. Yeah. Well, Mexico, they were supposed to have. Last year, and then some band like wrecked the field or something right before. Well, and they did Mexico City like two years ago, and there was a guy with a laser pointer in the stands. I don't know. Mexico City has not been great so far, but it says there are five international games: three in the United Kingdom, one in Germany, one in Mexico. Oh. There you go. So yeah, so it'll be th- so. Is this the second or third one in London? Then I, I, I know, know there was the, at least one. I think last the second, week. but. They said this will be the best two teams that have ever played. Like yeah, the, the well, high, first time they've ever had two teams over 500, 500 play sure. in London. Which, yeah, okay. It is odd to me, like, because they had that that London game, the the soccer game at Lambeau. Yeah, yep. And that was like a preseason or something, wasn't it, of soccer? It wasn't like a game that counted. Uh, like, like that we send these games over and they count is wild to me. Like. Well, these, why not give them a preseason game or something? Not like a real deal game is crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't work for the NFL. Above my pay grade. Uh, season, or what am I? I'm a Packers owner. It's not above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> we fought the league off as long as we could. We're the last right, team to go last. to London. The very last team to play an international game. So I guess... So, I mean, at some point, I mean, Canada's the Commonwealth country. Why don't they send the CFL over there, play some games? Yeah. Like the Calgary Stampede, is it the Stampeders? I can't remember. I couldn't tell you all the, what was the one that Johnny Manziel played on? He played for the Rough Riders. That was, was that Montreal? CFL teams. Yeah. The Edmonton Elks. The Hamilton Tiger Cats. Not sure why it has to be tiger hyphen cat. Tigers are cats. The Montreal Alouettes. That's the one I think he played on, the Alouettes. 
the Argonauts of Toronto, the BC Lions, Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Calgary Stampeders, Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and Ottawa Red Blacks. And there's also the... Okay, apparently, Ottawa also has the Rough Riders, two words. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders, one, one word. word. There's your Wikipedia fact of the day. <clears throat> uh, wow, I didn't realize Las Vegas had a Canadian football team, Las Vegas Posse. How can... What? <laughs> Las Vegas has <laughs> Can- Canadian rules. Yeah, football. it's great. Because uh, it's narrower field. Were. Okay. Were. Okay. So okay, this is like all the, the all the teams, deeper. all the teams ever that were there. Because Baltimore apparently had the Stallions, which is also um, the league's 1994 season. That's when oh, okay. Vegas had a team. Interesting. I don't remember that at all, and I was alive in '94. I'm surprised. Uh, I wonder how long it'll be till Canada just has like NFL expansion teams in it. Like, we just put two teams in Canada. Well, that's what I'm wondering if they're going to have a London team, too. But I was going to say, it seems like there's more of a push to go to London than Which to Canada. Which makes zero sense to me. It should be Canada or Mexico if we do anything, right? Well, not Mexico. No, they're not. looking at markets and all that. Yeah. You know how they, like, make a huge deal about the teams having to go over to London once a year and how big it screws up their schedule the week before and the week after? Imagine if there's a team in London moving every week. Yeah be terrible. I would think you'd almost have to schedule it like all their home games in a row and then they would just travel the rest of the season or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, because nobody else would be wanting to go to London in the last <laughs> eight weeks of the season. Right, December games in London would not probably be ideal. Making a playoff push and you have to go to London. You know what? <laughs> what country's probably not going to have an NFL team though? Russia. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. So yeah, it'll be interesting. Just it's one of those things where you got to remember, like, like usually at least you know, like I don't remember if it's a noon game or a three twenty-five, but I'm going to start watching football at noon. Now it's like, oh no, this this is eight thirty in the morning. I usually wake up Sunday morning and flip on the NFL Network anyway, so I won't like to watch the pregame coverage or whatever before we leave for church. So it won't be a huge change, but I think it's on Fox. Or not? I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I, I know the local Fox affiliate is going. It like went to went London. There. This, they were there last this week. Already. week. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, if, yeah you guys didn't pre-church. Like we went to church Wednesday, so that <laughs> well, I don't don't if you're Catholic, work. you go Saturday night. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. go to no. We went we to like we don't have a pre-church we went option. To, or trust me, I would have done it to like. No, so that's all. We can clear. do we can do virtual church, so I can have the game and Ooh. church. <laughs> <laughs> Stream both. I would imagine that they that most churches in the area know Sunday is going to get a little light. It'll be interesting. Yeah, I don't know how you handle that. You you may not. I don't know how much Simpsons you watch, but you remember the Simpsons one where Homer's like forms his own I kind know. of religion, stops going to church, yep, just to stay home and like watch football, and then he like goes grows a beard, like gets so used to staying out there, and then it ends with him like talking to God in the last ep- or last part of the episode, but. That's what I think of when I think of this, like all the jokes they make on TV about listening to the game in church, and you know people oh, stand up be and like touchdown. Yeah. You know, that's that's most churches this Sunday. Of like, if you're if you're in church and you don't want to be there, you're listening what, to the game or on they, your phone. They or, put it on the TV in the back in church, like just with the sound off. 
like in the in the, in the like I don't know about your guys' church, but a lot of them have like no, you have my grandma and grandpa always called it the sicky room. So like yeah, if you're sure. sick, you're supposed to sit in the back in the back in that. Or if you got room. loud kids or, or loud kids, yeah. the sicky room or the kid room. It's all fun and games till somebody spikes the communion chalice. Yeah, yeah. We're having buddies for communion this week, right? Or what? <laughs> I mean, at least like eight o'clock church, you'd be out and you wouldn't miss nothing really. But like, um, if yeah, you're, the first quarter probably. Right. If you go at like ten thirty, though, you're missing a lot. They should have like a like on Easter where they have six a.m. They the could 6 do that. Church. Yeah, like Easter oh, I style. And I would then, do that. Yeah, the sunrise service. Yeah, I'm pretty sure down here in Oneida we used to go and it was seven. We used to have seven, seven o'clock mass. Go. I like that. Yeah, when, was, when I was a kid, they had two, and then they stopped doing that because nobody would show up to the really early one. <laughs> Most everybody was going to the late one. So yeah, it was like eight and ten or something like that. I think. Yep. Anyway, all right, you guys ready to get into our topic for today? Great topic today, fantastic, love it. So we, we know it's going to happen, uh, whether it's this week, next week, a month from now, we're going to get frost. So what is the frost going to do to our crops? And we've kind of talked about this the last few weeks. You know, what do we do with corn if it's not going to dry, and uh, you know, stuff like that. Well, here we are, if we do get frost and a killing frost, we've had some light frost already. You've seen leaves or tops of plants kind of tipping over the sorghum that's out there, seeing that brown up a little bit from, from getting nipped. But you know, if you're looking to get grain and you're not at black layer, what's going to happen to your corn? So you know, usually when we get frost, you're drying of the plant is going to change drastically because the plant is is dead now. Yep. Like it's been dying on its own and now it's just dead. So defoliation and freezing before physiological maturity causes grain moisture levels to be two to six percentage points greater than that of grain in control plants, according to this study they did. So grain frozen before R6 requires four to nine additional days of field drying to reach 22 to 30% moisture. So... When we talk black layer, that's usually like 30 to 35 moisture. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so now you're talking an extra almost two weeks, 10 days. So basically what you're saying, Matt, is if the question's out there, if I don't hit black layer like, and my corn freezes, will it be a big deal? The answer is yes. yes. Like we do want to hit that finish line before freezing if we can. And then the frost really doesn't do anything. You know, right. The frost already... is just kind of finishing everything off. Right. Um, if you're looking at percentage of yield you're going to lose, so they have this chart here that uh, you guys can see. So at R4, so soft dough stage, if you get there and you get frost, that's a killing frost is 55% of your yield loss, so over half if you're not past that point. No, that's that's only for green yield. Right, that's for green yield. And most guys are, I don't know, Blanket statement, but most corn's past this stage right. too. Yes, this isn't one we worry about. This would be like an early, early frost. Max is looking at me like, eh. but no, it's at least <laughs> getting a little there's, bit. There's probably some out there, but <laughs> there's def- let me tell you, there's yeah. definitely some out there. Yeah, but even a light frost can, if you're at that stage, can lose you 35. percent So if the leaves are starting to die off, so that doesn't even take a killing frost to get some yield loss. R five at the dent stage. That's a 40% yield loss, 25 if it's a light frost. If you're 50% kernel milk, so R5.5, that's a 12% yield loss, 
or five for the light frost. And if you're at black layer, you're good. Nothing, nothing to worry about black layer. You should have no yield loss. Now, we talked about this last week. What do we do with that corn if it does frost and you're before black layer? Animal feed, pretty much your best option. Chop it or find somebody who needs the feed to, to chop it, take it and put it in their, their feed. Um, wet, dry milling, dry grind ethanol operators don't want frost corn. A lot of times it causes a low starch yield. Separation is not clean. Dry milling, it reduces the yield of the grits. Processors will discount light corn more heavily um, than if you were to use it in a feed value. And fermentation will be more variable in ethanol, so really your best option is to just chop it. There's not a lot of upside to still trying to take it for grain and put it into um, into the system because you're going to have more than likely lower test weights, lower yield, um, just not a lot of upside for that frozen corn. Even if you're going to take it at high moisture, it's probably not exactly these percentages, but it's... It's still going to, yeah, you're going to take a hit. Um, so corn is probably the biggie here when it comes to not being ready. Uh, soybeans, they have a... I'm skipping ahead a little bit. And soybeans have a lower threshold when it comes to freezing, so... Uh, and most of them, I mean, there's a few guys pushing long maturity soybeans, but a lot of the soybeans are out there, have lost all, their leaves are pretty close to all their leaves at this point. You know, so the, the bigger concern is the corn. Um, another th- thing to look at is the forage that you get out there. I mentioned sorghum before. Um, so if you get sorghum sedan grass, there's always the talk of the prussic acid and how that can affect cattle. So potential for prussic acid poisoning um, related to the size of the plant when it gets frosted and the extent of the frost damage, so the harder it freezes, the more potential. Um, but producers should be aware that the risk of damaging levels of prussic acid is very unlikely. So prussic acid, more correctly called hydrocyanic acid, which is a cyanide-based compound. So you know it's bad. Right. Everybody loves cyanide, right? <clears throat> This field smell like almonds uh, is formed in Sudan grass or sorghum Sudan grass hybrids, which are severely stressed or frost damaged. Um, can happen within a few hours after the frost and usually dissipates within a few days. Safest management is to make sure if you're grazing it to remove cattle and sheep from the frosted fields for several days. Livestock can be returned uh, to frost injured Sudan grass that is 18 inches or taller and sorghum Sudan 30 inches or taller after three to four days. If the grass were shorter than these heights when frosted, uh, 10 days to two weeks is what they suggest to keep you out of there. Also watch for tillers on partially frosted plants, but usually we don't have enough heat units to really have that as much of a concern. But it could happen. Um, So that's another thing, too. If you're going to harvest it, usually guys are going to wait kind of that period to harvest it at least few days i've always been curious about how this works as we plant um we'll plant sorghum in our food plots and that's the first thing you get frosted and then you get a yep. picture of eight deer all eaten in your food plots eating frosted off sorghum i always wonder about that it, i mean and how often do you see those same eight deer laying there then the yeah. next day in that's the picture your, why that's do you think your, my freezer's always full yeah that's your deer <laughs> hunting plan i like I, that it what is i'd always sorghum. about this is it's like you hear about it and it's scary but how many of us have ever seen? Because you don't want to see this, obviously, because right. it's it's not really worth bad. It, it's not worth the risk 
to not manage it, but right. at the same time. But you're right, Max. Like, how are like how does that work? Like, how does it work? Well, and in in the past, uh, speaking for myself here, every time we've ever harvested after a frost on sorghum, we've pulled tests and made sure it was safe, and we tried to follow those kind of guidelines those day those days in between. But you're probably not perfect. But I, you don't, you do. I think some of it comes out too in the harvest process and Especially fermentation. Once you ferment it too, it does change it. Yeah, yeah. And your inclusion rates are usually so low that it's not a big deal, but something to consider. Yeah, always good to err on the side of caution, but the likelihood of having a pretty severe issue is is minimum. Um, what about alfalfa? Is frosted alfalfa a concern? Um, you know, killing frost usually isn't as big of a deal with alfalfa because that's going to come later in the season. What would kill corn isn't quite going to be the same as what's going to kill alfalfa most of the time. So it's got a little higher tolerance. Usually a 23 or 24 degree freeze that lasts four to six hours to really kill the alfalfa to frost it. So frost injured alfalfa, clovers, um, you know, so if you got some Stuff you planted out there may after wheat that you're planting on foraging, either cutting for forage or grazing. Um, the commonly used perennial cool season forage grasses do not have the potential to form hydrodynamic acid and are not considered toxic, toxic and can be safely grazed or harvested following a frost. There's probably a slightly higher bloat risk for grazed alfalfa and white clover the first few days after a frost. Um, and... If you like to watch Yellowstone, you know they covered that the whole bloat thing. I, I know either of you get. Have you seen it, yeah. Max? Yeah. Yeah. So they they did, they did actually. Enemies. I've not seen it, but I hear like you really want to go to this train station. That's <laughs> all I know. <laughs> you no, know, you do. You, you do that. <laughs> so they're so they're. That's, I guess enemies in this yeah. particular episode flew over their cattle pasture and were dropping bales of clover down. Oh, to, 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 to get the load, cattle bloat. Yeah, and it killed like a whole pasture full of wow steers in the show, which. Part of that, too, like the whole bloat thing, if cattle are never eating clovers and, or legumes and they're only eating grass, I think they probably bloat, bloat a lot, worse. A lot oh, worse. Yeah. Where these were, you know, grassland pasture cattle and then they were dropping, like, you know, dairy quality alfalfa bales in there. Yeah, they're going to bloat. <laughs> yeah. It, it also has to do with the health of the How cattle. How specific and, did they get in the show on the, well, like... Because like, so, cause so they, drop, they, they drop these bales of clover in and, like, like they find just the field full of dead cows. Okay. And um, they're like, oh, the guy's like, oh, clover, they're bloating around. And then they they like clear clear all the stuff out, and they like the the next a few episodes later when it's the springtime, they're like scouring this pasture for clover clo- to make sure like, that's not growing. If any came sure. from yeah from the bales, so yeah, that's the ex- like. I like that they used agronomy in in this plot. <laughs> actually, that so, is great. The, the funny thing is, it's actually somewhat accurate. Like, right? right. It's not. A, it, no, it was like, not bad. Like research or anything. Like normally, you know, we always laugh. Like, oh, uh, they're milking that that bull or whatever. The, it yeah, has yeah. an udder. Like, no, if it's got an udder, it's it's a female. So, but yeah, they they got it right this time. There was potential there, and, and I think grassland like grazed cattle like that do have a much higher risk than oh, yeah, the ones right. you know we have here. Or they're used to having yeah, yeah, it yeah, in the rotation. You you drop that seven year old milk cow out there, she's good. She ain't gonna blow. She's fine. <laughs> but yeah, something that's only eaten Bermuda grass its whole life, probably gonna struggle a little bit. In the in the rolling credits, did they have like a 
yeah, agronomy, agronomy expert, expert I, yeah, that I, they can. I don't know who their consultant be, is. It'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great it, it to sit some, on the set and some, be like, no, 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 no. Some Doctor Tad. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Kevin Costner is actually because he's a field of dreams yes. expert yes. as well. So he so, can walk through corn and yeah, he knows corn thing. and now he knows clover. By the time Kevin Costner dies, he will be a professional agronomist. He's basically got interseeding down corn and clover. Yeah, he's got it. Um, so yeah, so that's not usually um, a big concern with the alfalfa. And then lastly, this is something that we grow for for forage most of the time, but it is in our cover crops sometimes, especially early planted ones, sunflowers. Um, and so observations from North Dakota indicate sunflowers are most susceptible to frost during bud and pollination stage. So, I mean, if you're you're hoping for that pretty sunflower field and it's not there yet, the frost could potentially kill off those plants. Um, but for the most part, you're not going to see a huge hit on your your sunflowers that are out there. So overall, you know, like we mentioned, there are some different temperature looks. So I think that, Todd, that's what you're going for here. What I think is wild is the, you think of freezing, you go like 32, like that would be the cutoff that you'd worry about all the time, you know, like. Yep, but it's it's temperature and time. True. And what I think is wild though is like, it is different in each plant, like corn, you got to get 28 degrees to really, you know, there, if it's 28 for minutes, it'll kill it. Alfalfa, what was it? 22 to 24. Yep. You know, so, and obviously it matters the sugar content in the plant and how that plant physiologically is. That must be, you know, it has some insulatory factor, obviously. And soybeans, it said 26. So that that's what I think is interesting too, is like, we just watch the weather, you know, on channel 2.2 and you look for that low of 32 and really it's it's very specific to even getting colder than that and i didn't know like sunflowers it says it's more like 30 degrees so what's interesting too is when you you see these guys that are planting the multi-species cover crops you mentioned the the insulation factor you'll see like the tall stuff like the sorghum kind of get hit first but then some of that stuff closer to the ground that either can hold the ground heat right They're either getting the benefit of being in that grouping or are just a more tolerant plant. You know, you'll see variations in in how much green there is out there, and that's kind of cool to see. It's that good vetch, man. It grows forever. (laughs) So really the biggest concern, if you have any concerns, is your corn. So hopefully your corn is black layer or at least pretty close. At this stage, um, there is the potential for frost. On Friday night here, we'll see what we get. Um, if it's enough to be a true killing frost, or if it's just enough to kind of nip things, we've like we've seen um, the past couple cold nights. But yeah, there you go. We'll be, we're close to full moon, so October ninth. Yep. So we're, <clears throat> we're we're getting there. We're, we're creeping that, up on yeah, it. Yeah, that you could get colder just because you're of the moon cycle. And that is the Hunter's Moon, Max. Yep. So are you ready for I it? I will be October 9th. Let's see. Be Sunday? Yeah. Yeah, Sunday. I might hunt Sunday. We'll see. All right. So there you go. That's what frost will do to your crops that are out there. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today. So 
So John Deere recently invested in crop health startup Innerplant, so not Interplant, like the boxes on your planter that plant the 15 intros. Innerplant, like inner child, is a far bigger <clears throat> is far bigger than the 16 million figure attached to the deal. In many ways, it seems Deere is investing in not only one company but an entirely new way of doing crop protection and ultimately commodity farming. So Innerplant announced its Series A earlier this month. John Deere purchased them, and so their co-founder and CEO, Shelly, I'm guessing, it's only one L, or Shelly Aronoff, says her company started talking to John Deere a year ago in what she describes as a really easy and frictionless process. The two companies discussed how to work better together, with Deere eventually suggesting it lead their Series A. So Series A is a way of recoding plant DNA to make those plants natural distress signals visible to the human eye when viewed through field equipment or satellite imagery. In the event of pests, fungi, lack of water, or other danger, the recoded plant's fluorescent proteins light up in leaves so that the signal the distress to farmers. So it's an interesting way of seeing crop health in a different light. Plants are going to be able to tell us what's wrong with them now. Yeah. So living plant sensors is what they're trying to develop here. A check engine light for your corn plant. There you go. Hopefully it's better than check engine light, (laughs) though. Because check engine light can be like seven different things. Like, oh, we know something's wrong. Now we got to figure out what it is. You ever get the mysterious check engine light? You're not but, sure what it is. It's just that's on. The, that's the dumb gas cap. Or I said the worst is the, oh. is the You gas just keep cap. driving and driving, and you're like, eh, hopefully it goes away soon. Maybe they can create a like bioluminescent LED style light, so it changes colors as if depending what? on what it is. A bioluminescent LG. <laughs> yes. Did you, did you watch Moana? Oh, that's one weekend? of my favorite movies. Moana. I like that movie. That's a good one. Bioluminescent algae. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where that technology goes and how effective it can be. So we'll keep an eye on that. Now we'll move into our egg history minute. <laughs> Gotta love that banjo. All right, so. The Old Farmer's Almanac has been around for quite a long time. And under the guiding hand of its first editor, Robert B. Thomas, the premier issue of the Old Farmer's Almanac was published in 1792 during George Washington's first term as president. Although many other almanacs were being published at that time, Thomas's upstart almanac became an immediate success. In fact, by the second year, circulation had tripled from 3,000 to 9,000. Back then, Almanac cost only six pence, or about nine cents. An Almanac, by definition, records and predicts astronomical events, the rising and setting of the sun, for instance, tides, weather, and other phenomena with respect to time. So what made the old farmer's Almanac different from others? Since his format wasn't novel, we can only surmise that Thomas's astronomical weather predictions were more accurate, the advice more useful, and the features more entertaining. Based on his observations, Thomas used a complex series of natural cycles to devise a secret weather forecasting formula, which brought uncanny accurate results, traditionally said to be 80% accurate. 
Even today, his formula is kept safely tucked away in a black tin box at the Almanac offices in Dublin, New Hampshire. So 80% is pretty good, and I don't think most weathermen could claim an 80% (laughs) accuracy. Okay, did you... Do you think it was always called the Old Farmer's Almanac? Well, I, I, yeah, it makes you wonder if it was the New Farmer's Almanac I, at that time. And It says it was always just called the Farmer's Almanac, except in 1832 when Thomas had inserted the word old, but he inexplicably dropped it from the title three years later. So somewhere he like threw it in there and then pulled it out again, and now it's back in. Now like, it's back. Yeah, back again. But it's old with just the O-L-D, not the O-L-D-E. So it wasn't like ye old almanac. It's also old with a D, not ol. Yes, correct. It's not the the ol farmer's almanac. Like the ol farmer's ham they sell at Walmart. Yes. That's ol. (laughs) So there you go. All right. Thanks, Matt. And if you like listen to something else that's 80% correct, please tune in to Tilt Talk Radio. You can find us on all kinds of fun stuff. 60% of the time, <laughs> it works every time. Please listen on your iPhone, on Apple Podcasts, on Android. You will need to download an app like Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM. All work great. You can also listen on your smartphone or computer browser. Go to tiltheg.com slash podcasts. We're also available on Amazon Music, and you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilt Talk Radio. Please tell a friend. That's all we ask. We aren't, there's no ads here. It's just all a lot of fun. All we ask is you tell somebody about the podcast. That was 80% good, Todd. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. Now we'll move into our current events with our cool beans. That's corny. So cool beans? Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Hey, good job, guys. We did it. Messing the rotation. We still got it right. All right. Cool beans this week. The CREATE Act, or CREA 8, since it's got it's double like two A's. A's yeah. <clears throat> would double USDA export promotion funding. So a bill to double support for two USDA export promotion programs has been introduced in the U.S. Senate. Minnesota Senator Tina Smith tells Brownfield that cultivating revitalization by expanding American Agricultural Trade and Exports Act, so that's the CREATE Act. How do they come up with these names? They're so good. They workshop them, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm like sure, si- but like... Six congressional pages that just sit around, <laughs> that's all they do is throw darts at dartboards and put words in. Cultivating uh, Would increase annual funding for the market access program to $400 million dollars and bolster the foreign market development program by more than $34 million. Funding for these programs has been stagnant for nearly 15 years, though the value of these programs is really great. They're designed to help producers invest and get traction in export markets. Smith is a co-sponsor of the bill with Iowa Senator Joni Ernst, Ernst, and says they'd like to see the CREATE Act included in the next farm bill. So we'll keep an eye on that and see what kind of progress they can make. It's good that it's bipartisan. Smith is a Democrat and Ernst is a Republican, so we've got support from both sides. What does that mean? That's a thing. That, that is a thing, yeah. <clears throat> so I think it happens more than we talk. So it's good, you know, in a lot of stuff, they both yeah. sides try to well, agree. When it's not an election year for you, 
or the other person, you could work <laughs> you together. Can, can but when it's an election year for both of you, then you can't. Then you have to smear each other wildly. <laughs> Just watch TV right now. <laughs> there you go. All right. That is not our That's Corny, though it is corny. Our that real That's Corny for this week is the National Corn Growers Association president is concerned about Mexico's GMO corn ban. So the new president of the National Corn Growers Association is increasingly concerned about this movement by Mexico. Tom Hag, who farms near Eden Valley, Minnesota, says initially it sounded like only food-grade corn would be affected, but it gets deeper. As it gets deeper into this, it gets tougher and tougher because Mexico might ban GMO corn going to livestock as well. He said, the National Corn Growers Association is communicating with the U.S. trade representative as the situation unfolds. Uh, if we have to do a lawsuit with the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, according to what the USTR says, they aren't living up to what they negotiated and what they wanted in the trade agreement. So if the Mexican government follows through on the proposed ban, Hag says it will hurt the bottom line of U.S. corn farmers and raise prices of food in Mexico. So we'll see what happens there. I mean, you know, the GMO debate is still alive and kicking as, the, the war as it has been on. for a long Talking time. Talking to somebody that's grown corn in Mexico it is extremely hard to grow corn. I mean, there's no there's no infrastructure set up to like that we're used to to call up a co-op guy to get stuff. Like it's just very different and i can't imagine how something like this too would change like i yeah the upheaval and yeah it'd be it's that wouldn't be good yeah well hopefully it doesn't go any further but we'll you never know we'll see and now we'll wrap things up with our field good friday <clears throat> this one in particular is a wisconsin minded dairy business Program So the Dairy Business Builder Grant applications are now open to dairy farmers in 11 states. So dairy farmers, manufacturers, and processors in 11 states can now apply for a new round of Dairy Business Builder Grants through the Dairy Business Innovation Alliance, a partnership between Wisconsin Cheesemakers Association and the Center for Dairy Research at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Applications are open now until November 10th, at 5 p.m., so during business hours, you can apply on the 10th. Reimbursement grants of up to $100,000 each aim to support small to medium-sized dairy businesses in diversifying on-farm activity, creating value-added products, enhancing dairy byproducts, and creating or enhancing dairy export programs. Dairy farmers and processors in Nebraska, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Ohio, South Dakota, Kansas, and Wisconsin can all apply. We have more on-farm cheese plants. Yeah, the the potential is there. Or like like Fair Oaks. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but yep. they have like their own hotel and everything. The restaurant. They restaurant. they have their milk that they market throughout. I think throughout the country. I think it's available. Fairlife. Yeah, the yeah. Fairlife milk. I don't is, think. Is this more to get products like that? Of like products or uh, I, I just diversification read, i just read the, the whole thing <laughs> i know I'm on farm saying. activity activity okay. value added yeah. products okay dairy byproduct enhancing dairy products byproducts or creating or enhancing dairy exports so 
yeah, a number of things. If you can figure out a way to make a new milk and sell it to other countries, that's something you could apply for this grant for. Um, you know, just improving your on-farm ability to diversify, whether that's a cheese plant like Max mentioned, or milk like Fairlife does, or cheese curds, perhaps. Everyone loves cheese curds, at least in Wisconsin. Oh, boy. I do love cheese curds. Uh, even, you know, we've talked about them, I think, before on the podcast, the the two girls, Creamery and, and two, Freedom. Two Guernsey girls. The With their A2 milk, that'd be another thing I think yeah. would fit into this kind of category. So The two Guernsey girls, have you guys tried it yet? I have not. No. Is it, I, I'm not lactose intolerant, so I, I don't have a need. I, guess I it am. To, does it help your gut, Max? Can you tell? Yeah, it's better. It's definitely better. It's definitely better, but he only dry time, heaves instead of vomits. <laughs> every time, <laughs> every time I get it though, I like get up. I think they're pints of chocolate milk. Nice. And Is I, it glass bottles or? Well, they do have glass bottles, but like they sell, they do have plastic ones. I so there's a local app orchard I like a lot here, oh, and they have that, cider donuts. Yep. And then I get I get a six pack of cider donuts and a chocolate milk. Hammer time on that the chocolate awesome. milk. I pound that thing down after two donuts. <laughs> My stomach's probably gonna hurt pretty much. Matter I do what like I cider have. donuts. But yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. So there's opportunities out there for those grants, and you have until November 10th. That'll do it for us for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked about what will frost do to my crops that are out there. In our spotlight, we looked at John Deere investing in inner plant for those new biosensors. Ag History Minute, we talked about the old Farmer's Almanac. Cool Beans was the CREATE Act with double USDA export promotion. That's corny, was National Corn Growers concerned about Mexico's GMO corn ban. And our Field Good Friday was the Dairy Business Builder Grant applications open now through November 10th. Thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming.